Welcome to another episode of The Lanyard, the podcast that goes deep with change makers, business leaders, and community builders. Here's your host, Ben Hanton. Hey, everybody. Happy to be back with another episode of The Lanyard. And I guess we're still kind of in quarantine time, so we're going to do another remote interview today. Today on the phone, I have an author out of Sioux Falls, Amy Dawes. Thank you for joining me. What's going on Thanks with for having me? Yeah, what's going on with your day today? How does an author spend a typical day? Yeah, um, you know, it it varies for me depending on what process, what what point I'm at in a book or in a book release. Um, I release about two or three books a year, sometimes four if I'm really ambitious. Uh, so I do like a lot of downtime, though, between my books. And right now, I had a release in April. So right now, I would say it's a downtime. So my daughter is home with me this summer. And so we've been kind of enjoying some sunshine and summer activities that, that we're allowed to enjoy, I guess, in, yeah. the, in the current climate. How is parenting during the quarantine going for you? I mean, you know, my husband and I, we just have one daughter. So our ratio is... <laughs> is favorable, uh, grown up to child. Um, so, you know, he was working from home as well, uh, for a while there. And so the two of us kind of split the schoolwork with her for the remote learning. And we did a pretty good job with that. So it hasn't been too bad. Luckily she's eight. And so she's at that young age where she's not missing any major life milestones, like some of those high school kids are and things like that. So I really can't complain. Yeah. My kids, who are three and four think this is just a big party. They love it. They right, yeah, and so much one on one time with even, us. Yeah, they probably won't even remember. You know, at least nothing significant. So yeah, well, so the idea of putting out three books a year, maybe four books a year, seems pretty audacious. I mean, that's an audacious goal. Uh, people in a lifetime may dream of publishing a book. And you have this big goal of of kicking out at least a couple a year. Um, yeah. I, wh- where did this begin, though? Um, did you know from a child that you wanted to be a writer? Uh, you know, writing was always easy for me growing up. You know, the classes where I had to write an essay were always way easier for me to handle than, you know, any math or science stuff. So um, when I was a kid, I remember I used to say I wanted to be a sitcom writer. But that, of course, usually involves some sort of a Hollywood trip and just moving somewhere that things like that are filmed. And so that was kind of a lofty goal. I actually went into television production and I worked at the local um, Fox affiliate TV station in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for um, over 10 years right out of college. And I made local ads, basically. So I had some script writing that I did there, but that's pretty pretty basic local stuff you know um but then during that time I was working there my husband and I decided to start trying to have children and um we suffered a lot of miscarriages I've lost six babies total so um my daughter Lorelai's a little miracle and um I I used to kind of journal some of the stuff that was going on because I remember I always said to myself I don't want to forget the bad stuff because I know we're going to have a happy ending and I don't, the bad gets me to the good, you know? So um, after we had my daughter, I just decided to kind of start putting that all together into a book. I found a local author who wrote some fantasy and she kind of 
helped me navigate the world of of self-publishing. And so I published a memoir called Chasing Hope. My daughter's middle name is Hope. And so it's kind of my story of recurrent pregnancy loss. So it's, it's an interesting um, way to begin a writing career because now I write steamy romance novels. Um, <laughs> and I have, I have 16 or 17 romance novels and then the one memoir. So clearly I took a turn after that memoir. But um, I think if I didn't have a real story to tell, I would have never realized how much I could write and what I was capable of. So I think having that experience of the pregnancy losses and the infertility and just that painful journey um, really opened up a whole new world for me. And I, I'm just, I'm very lucky. Well, and we're going to talk about steamy romance novels in a little bit here. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the reason that I even wanted to you know, probably that sizzle story that a lot of people wanted to talk to you about, which was uh, involving a tire store. We're going to get to that (laughs) in a little bit because I discovered that story on Twitter. Somebody kind of rehashed the tale over a Twitter thread. And then I went down a rabbit hole of tracking down (laughs) who this person is and is this for real? And that's why we're here. But um, so the, the book Chasing Hope, was there was a follow up to it with Chasing Peace too. Tell me about that. I haven't actually written that yet. I've started it. You know, after Chasing Hope I started writing romance and to go back to memoir and to go back to that those painful experiences are kind of um it's not that appealing, I'm not gonna lie. But it, there I, I do want to write Chasing Peace at some point because I truly have found peace in that journey. Because, like I said before, it opened up a whole new world for me. You know, I've, I've, I've gone to signings in different countries now. Like, this is never a life I could have imagined for myself. So I truly have found peace with that pain. So eventually, I will write about Chasing Peace, which is going to kind of focus on the sixth baby we lost, which happened after my daughter Lorelai was born. <clears throat> and so basically, it'll be about that loss. And about finding peace with letting go of um, one part of your life, which for us was growing our family um, and finding peace and, you know, fulfillment in other aspects of my life. So eventually I'll get to that. Um, but it is one of those since it's memoir, you know, real life has to inspire it. And so I'm just kind of letting life continue as it is. And all of it will hopefully be good content for the story once I write it. Yeah. Well, you you talk about the KTW production and commercials that you did, and I I was on your LinkedIn profile, and there was a link to a sizzle reel that you had created on YouTube of some of your past work, and it was really a it was like a time capsule because it was some of that early two thousands type production quality, which was really great for the time. And today, it's just kind of like wow, look at all the zooming in and zooming out, and I know and so cheesy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Stewart School was kind of a Stewart Hair School was, was was prominent in a lot of those ads. Yes, yes, I did a lot of ads for Stewart School. They were they were fun to work with. So uh, is that the kind of deal where your salesman at KTTW says, listen, we just hooked in somebody for a contract. Uh, we need you to create everything for them. They have nothing. They're n- they don't have any ads. You got to just do it all. Correct. Yeah. I, I wrote the script. I shot the ads. I edited the ads. So I was a one woman show basically. And I, I talked to Stuart school and we would kind of concept some creative ideas and stuff, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, I was the only person. It's very different from like production houses where you have a script writer and a, a photographer and <laughs> an editor. Like, you know, it was all me. So it was a really fun job, though. And uh, when did that come to an end? Um, let's see. I've been writing full time for about three years now. So it was about three years ago. Um, I, you know, I got hired. I went to school in Iowa, at University of Northern Iowa. And um, my husband and I, we married the year before I graduated and we decided to look for jobs in Sioux Falls because I have family here. And so, um, yeah, I, I found the Fox. I interviewed at Fox TV, uh, literally, I should say KTTW because it's very different than, you know, Fox Network, obviously. But, um, yeah, we I interviewed the week after I graduated and I stayed there until the, the writing took off. So the writing, the first romance novel that you that you decided to write how did that come to be and it, i imagine that it's one of those things that you maybe have a inner dialogue about like who should i tell about this and what are their reactions going to be and, and tell me how that all came to be well i mean when i released chasing hope like my family was all super supportive obviously because it was a very personal story and and it, and it was very eye-opening for a lot of my family to, to read, you know, the behind-the-scenes look at how, how hard that experience really was for us. And a lot of my family was like, oh, my gosh, we had no idea. And so that experience was great. So everybody was super supportive. My hometown of Estherville, Iowa was super supportive. I had book signings there. And, you know, it was a great experience. So when I – but, like, I've been a romance reader forever, you know, since my early 20s. So I, I've loved romance novels. And so I was like, gosh, what if I wrote an infertility storyline in a romance novel? You don't see that a lot because usually romance novels end with a couple either getting married or having a baby. Like there's always a happy baby at the end, you know? And I was like, what if I wrote a romance novel with an infertility storyline and they didn't get a baby? Because I always had this feeling during my miscarriage times where a lot of people and they don't, they don't do this to be cruel or anything, but they, they give you the impression that your life will not be fulfilled if you don't have children. And I hated that because I lived with that constant fear that I might never have children. And so I just hated that fulfillment, you know, fulfillment can be found in a variety of ways and having babies is great, but it's not the end all be all. So um, I decided, I, I think because my first romance novel had such a strong infertility storyline, I was able to give a lot of my inner dialogue and my narrative to that character. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely a tearjerker, but it's got a beautiful ending of a couple in love and no baby. And it's kind of this beautiful, like, it's almost like an alternate ending for me. You know, if my life had an alternate ending yeah. of, without my wonderful daughter, Lorelai. So I think, you know, my family, I, they were all super supportive. And, you know, my books have probably gotten steamier as I've continued <laughs> writing and become more confident. And my family loves it. My mom reads all my books. My grandma won't read them, but she buys them for her local library. <laughs> <laughs> so they just support me in the ways that they can. So uh, and, and they've seen what a great experience, great experiences I've had because of the world of books. And so, um, yeah, they're very happy for me. Did you have any butterflies in your stomach when you were telling people for the first time what you've been up to when they, when, Hey, yeah, Amy, what I you mean, been doing? Well, I'm actually working on, uh, you know, you know, I love to read romance novels and now that's going to be my career. 
Yeah. I mean, well, I didn't know if I could make a career out of it in the beginning, to be honest, you know, not yeah. many people can. So I, I think I was kind of quiet about it to people in real life. And I was kind of just trying to focus on this world of romance readers that um, I have a degree of separation with. So like, I would just imagine my local friends and stuff, not reading it, <laughs> even yes. though many of them did, because I'm sure a lot of them were very curious. Um, but yeah, it is kind of a nerve wracking thing. But you know, I think I have, I've had so many friends and family members that we swapped books with. So we're all reading this stuff. You know, we've all, we've all picked up the steamy romance novel and talked about how much we loved it. So, you know, it wasn't really that far fetched to come from me. And I'm kind of an outgoing personality anyway. So I, I think my family was probably like, and friends were probably like, yeah, I you're doing this. <laughs> and so tell me about the genre itself. So when you're picking up one, what are you looking for? What, what makes a good romance novel? I mean, I hate to say they're formulatic, formulatic, I say, um, but they are in a sense because, you know, there's the meet cute where the couple meets in the beginning and usually there's some reason they shouldn't date. So there's this tension and then finally they give in and then um, they're together. But then you always have to have a black moment, which is where you rip everything apart. So something either like something from the outside world affects their relationship or one of them has some kind of emotional trauma, which makes it impossible for them to fully open up in a relationship. So basically you rip them apart only to put them back together and give the happily ever after, you know? So it's this, it's, it's just the, the story of love, you know, and it's formulatic, but it, it, it is because it's beautiful and it's, you know, a story we can all relate to in some ways. Yeah. Um, obviously books are fiction and, a lot more dramatic than real life, but that's that's why we love them. It's it's what we wish our lives were. <laughs> <laughs> it's an escape. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. tell me about the the formula then. How do you put that into to practice? Do you start off with a, a just a nugget? Do you start off with a a name? Do you work off of a theme, a series? Do you say I know where the ending is and I'm going to find my way there? Do you not know the ending until? you're halfway into a book. Tell me about your mm -hmm. normal process. I mean, so for the world of romance tropes, uh, the word tropes is a big deal. And I didn't even know what the word trope meant when I entered this world of romance, but trope is basically um, the main theme of your story. So some same, some popular romance tropes would be enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, best friends to lovers, secret baby or surprise baby, uh, doctor romance, sports romance. So like there's all sorts of these main themes and uh, romance readers have their favorite tropes. Like I always know I'm going to love a book with a bridal theme. I love any kind of a book that centers around a wedding. So usually if there's like a bridal cover, I'm always going to read that blurb to see what that book's about. Cause that's like catnip to me. So <laughs> usually for my books, I, I come up with a trope first. So, you know, I'll be like, okay, so, Lindsay's one of the side characters from my previous book. I think I'm going to have her have an accidental pregnancy happen from a one night stand, which sounds so, you know, salacious, but it's a great <laughs> read. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I'll start there. And then usually I kind of have an idea of what um, maybe the hero's um, past trauma is. Maybe something happened to him in his career that's kind of made him emotionally unavailable. Um, so, you know, I usually kind of have an idea of their backstories, what I want the main trope to be. And usually I have like a black moment in mind. 
Um, and so I, I have to just now plug in the parts leading up to that black moment to make it all kind of come together. Yeah. How I see it in my head. But they say there's two types of writers. They say a pantser or a plotter. So pantsers are fly by the seat of pants writing. There's not a lot of plotting ahead of time. And then plotters will literally write all of their ideas down, organize them, have ideas for what each chapter is going to be, um, have back backstories for the characters all written out already. And I've discovered I'm a bit of both. So, cause like, I, like I said, I usually have a couple scenes in mind and I just have to have to get to those. So when you are plotting, are you using a spreadsheet or do you just have a database? Do you have Evernote whiteboards? How are you keeping that stuff organized? <laughs> real, real scientific. I have a random note on my phone. <laughs> that I just type notes into, um, and I just type on a Word document. So sometimes, if I'm near my computer, I'll just type the notes into my Word document. Sometimes it's comments in the margins. Sometimes I just put a bunch of stuff on the last page of the document, and I kind of access it very like through various times. So yeah, I'm not I'm not real organized, um, which is probably what makes me a, more of a pantser than a plotter. <laughs> <laughs> so are there friends and family that have, you know, maybe not been named, but found their way into your books through characters? Um, for sure. In the beginning, I always had little inspirations um, pulled from real life. And, you know, I love taking little like funny stories and inserting them into my book um, as that character's backstory. I think when I was first starting writing, I, I was insecure about writing pure fictional characters, you know? Um, so I, there was a little bit of my life in all the characters or a little bit of my, my friends in all the characters. So, so uh, that, it's kind of funny to see how I've grown because, you know, in the beginning, my characters were all very similar to people I knew. And then all of a sudden I started writing sports romance um, with uh, British soccer players, uh, British footballers. And clearly the, I, I have no inspiration <laughs> in my life to draw from for those guys. Like my husband doesn't even like soccer. So he's completely like not helpful there. And I don't even know much about soccer, but I gave one of my characters in a different book, four brothers who all play professional soccer in England. So next thing I knew my readers were saying, aren't you writing a series about these brothers? They sound great. So, um, yeah, as I've grown, I've definitely, um, become more confident in just creating characters without any kind of real life inspiration. So the tropes that you were talking about, you said, I remember you saying that maybe there might be a doctor romance or there might be an accidental pregnancy. Um, I read one blurb that said that awkward moment when an ER doctor has to inform you that you're pregnant, dot, 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 with his baby. Yes. <laughs> that was my April release. That's my newest release. Yeah, I love my, I loved that tagline. You so, get you get a lot in that tagline. You know the tropes. You know it's going to be funny. You know there's going to be a doctor and a baby. and Yeah. It's going to, okay, so humor is a part of this too? Yes. Uh, mine, I definitely write romantic comedy for sure. My earlier books were maybe a bit more emotional contemporary romance. But at, like, I think that was because that was where my head was back then. I was fresh off of Chasing Hope, fresh off of those miscarriages. I was really in touch with the, my dark side back then. <clears throat> so um, as I've, you know, come into this career more, I've definitely found my 
youthful voice. And yeah, romantic comedy, big time, is a huge part of my brand now. The, <laughs> so the audio book is probably part of the equation here too. I remember seeing a photo of you uh, and some fellow authors, I think at Audible. So does that mean you're going in and voicing your own books? Oh Lord, no. Uh, Okay. (laughs) No. Uh, This is what I say about audiobooks: is like, I am not a professional narrator, actor, nothing. Those narrators that, that narrate audiobooks are doing that because they are professionals. You know, I could never, I didn't even voice, um, the audiobook for my Chasing Hope book, which many maybe would have because of the fact that it's a memoir. Um, but I just know. I think it's best to leave that to the professionals. So you don't have to invent English accents then when you're portraying people <laughs> no, in London? I'm, no, and I'm pretty sure if I tried, it would probably sound Australian more <laughs> than British if I ever tried. No, but, I've, I've found great narrators and for my British series, um, most of those narrators are truly British. So they're not even um, performing an accent. Yeah. That, that is their na- native accent. But if you're if you're having a book that's set in England, are you worried about getting the details wrong? Are you or are you pretty familiar with the the area yourself? No, I'm always I'm always getting stuff wrong. Still today, I get criticized in reviews because. It sounds like an American writing a British romance. Um, <laughs> I have British beta readers, um, British proofers. I have people that, you know, like multiple British um, readers that I've become friends with over the years that help me. And But there's always going to be a critic, you know. So, like, what I have done is great for those readers that help me, but there's somebody out there that's not going to be happy. And I just, that's just fine. That's, that's their prerogative. It doesn't bother me at all anymore. Um, there's always going to be bad reviews too. That doesn't bother me. I actually like reading them. I don't know why. It's, it's like some form of like emotional cutting or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> those, those bad reviews just draw me in. And I actually kind of learn a lot from bad reviews too. So um, I, I research though as much as I can. Um, I do Google Maps. I you know, take virtual tours if I can find locations online. And um, so that kind of helps try to make it as authentic as possible. Well, let's talk about tires. So (laughs) (laughs) tell me, I guess I don't even want to tell the story. You should tell the story about tires, tires, tires. Well, it's just one of those things you can't make up. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Like it sounds like unbelievable because it, it kind of is. Um, so this was right after I had quit my job at Fox and I, I had made enough money. I had this number in mind. Once I had X amount of dollars in the bank, I was going to quit my job and write full time. How old so were I'd you? I finally done that. Um, this was just three years ago and I'm 36 now. So I was 33 ish. Um, and maybe 32. And anyways, and I've, I've been writing for about five years. So it, was, it took about two years before I finally had some books that took off. Um, and so anyways, I, I'd been, I quit my job. I was ready to work from home. And every single day I couldn't write. I was just like miserable at home. And I was like, what did I do? I should have never quit my job. Now that I have all this time, I'm like locked up. I can't, I can't think. I can't create. Like I literally, I never thought writer's block was even a real thing. I thought it was just an excuse people used. Um it was real for me. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm eating my words now. 
I never should have said that. So you were sitting so in anyways, an office at your house and yes, struggling yes, to get a, any output? Right. And I, and you know, I created this beautiful office in my home and I was like, yes, I did it. I'm an author. Look at this computer <laughs> and this big desk and all these books. <laughs> like, you know, I was totally thinking this was going to be easy now that I had all the time all day long. Um, that did not work. Um, I was trying coffee shops and nothing was really working. Nothing could get me motivated. And one day I had to take my car in for a new set of tires at a little place called Tires, Tires, Tires. Um, and my sister had told me they had a great waiting room with awesome complimentary coffee and cookies. And just you should bring your computer there. So I did. And this is how I described it. Like I, I, I sat down. I got my coffee. I got my cookie. I opened my laptop. And it was like the sun shone down on me. I could hear like angels chanting. Like it was like. <laughs> this moment of like creativity just hit me out of nowhere. And I just started writing and it was like, I've been so unproductive for so long. I just couldn't, I couldn't le- believe it. I, I sat at tires, tires, tires that first day for like six hours. So they, they told car, you your tire, your, your tires were done a long time ago. You can yep, get out of here, they did. but they didn't mm-hmm. nudge you to but, leave either. No, they didn't care at all. I mean, nobody, it's a big waiting room and it's not like directly in front of the guys who sit at the front desk. So it's not like they even noticed. And so I just literally hung out there all day writing and I was blown away. And, you know, a part of my job as an author is to connect with my readers on social media. So I'm talking about this on social media and people are dying. They're like, oh my God, you wrote it at fire stop for six hours. Like you weirdo. This is hilarious. And my sister was like, hey, my car needs an oil change. You could just take it for me tomorrow and go back. And I was like, yes. So um, I did it again, and it, and, it, and it worked again. I got a bunch of words in their waiting room done. The guys didn't look at me too funny. Um, then I had another car I took in for a friend. And I'm posting about this all on social media every day because <laughs> it's just so funny. And I got to like show people this awesome waiting room that has inspired me. And then because they're waiting rooms off to the side, I was like running out of cars to take in for service. I was like, you know what? I could come in the side door and nobody would even know I was here. Like they wouldn't probably even care if I didn't have a car for service. So like I snuck in one day and that was really fun to post about on social media because people just were dying laughing at that. And I'm just assuming these tire shop guys, our paths will never cross on social media. Like who, they don't know who I am. Like, I'm sure none of them are following a romance author in Sioux Falls. Small world, um, though. I know it is. <laughs> uh, and it just it, slowly it kept erupting and getting bigger and bigger. And on social media, too, I, I noticed all my posts were starting to get tons of engagement and reactions. And I'm like, geez, these people really like when I post about this. And so I kept taking more cars in for people. And the guys were kind of looking at me funny. Like, and I was like, yeah, I'm just helping a bunch of people out. I really like your waiting room. And, you know, like they were fine with it. Um, but then a couple of my friends pulled some pranks on me, which is when I think this really took off and got a little viral. One of my friends sent me a fake invoice from Tires, 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 <laughs> charging, <laughs> charging me for excess consumption of complimentary beverages. <laughs> and like, in my right mind, I knew it had to be a prank, but like, it was so specific on the automated invoice that I was like, Oh my God, this might be real. Like, Did you call up and do? raise hell? <laughs> um, so yeah, I finally figured out who sent it. So I was like, you 
jerk. Like, get out of my life. One of my friends had pizza sent to me in the waiting room. That was mortifying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, oh, that was just super embarrassing. But, of course, I'm posting about this because at this point, everybody's kind of along this tire, tire, tire ride with me. Um, and then one day I get a message from Gary, the manager, uh, on my author page on Facebook. And he said, hey, my name's Gary. I'm manager of Tires, Tires, Tires. I've heard something about an invoice that was sent to you. I just want you to know that's not from us. You're welcome here anytime. And we think this is actually really funny. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, is this like an opening? And so he's like, then he kind of messaged me again. And he's like, why don't you come in sometime and we can talk. So I was like, oh, my God, is this to go a couple ways? But let's do this. And I came in, and it was like they rolled out the red carpet for me. They had tires, 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 swag for me. They had my chair that I liked marked off with <laughs> a sign that it was reserved for Amy Dawes. Like, it, they were <laughs> so sweet and so funny. And, of course, like, romance land is just eating this up. Like, this is like a true love story between me and tires, 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 it's ending happily. And yeah, it was just a really crazy fun experience. And eventually, um, bigger media outlets started hearing about it. Um, BuzzFeed emailed me out of the blue asking if they could interview me for uh, an article. And that, that's where I think a lot of other blogs picked it up because then I started getting messages from these big mommy blogs. Because I took my daughter in one day and signed a picture of her with me. And um, so these mommy blogs with like millions of followers were like, like Scary Mommy. I'm sure lots of people have heard of that one. They interviewed me and gosh, Canada Public Radio interviewed me. <laughs> um, like WGN in Chicago did a phone, a live call-in interview with me. And so did some Phoenix station. Um, yeah, it was just this crazy like whirlwind that just blew up because it's like this, you know, mother sneaks into a tire shop to write her romance novel. And it was like a funny headline. That was just kind of one of those feel good stories that made people laugh. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not something you can make up and I have a great relationship with those guys still to this day. And uh, it only grew when I decided to tell them I was going to write a romantic comedy about a romance novel. She sneaks into a tire shop to write. <laughs> and so I did. I wrote my book, Wait With Me, and I wrote that book in 13 days. And I wish I could replicate that speed, um, but I can't. It was just one of those divine experiences of perfect inspiration. I didn't think too much. I just sat down and started writing. I was able to include a lot of the funny anecdotes that happened to me. Um, none of the steamy stuff obviously happened to me. Um, my husband and I are happily married. <laughs> Um, but well, yeah, happ so happily could be steamy, right? Yes, I, it is, but just not that book steamy, not what we <laughs> saw in the book. Um, and we even shot the cover for that book in the tires, tires, tires garage. Like those guys were 100% supportive. They put me up on their marquee. Like they have a digital marquee where they like run sales and like they put it, they put my name up there on my release day when I finished the book, like just whenever. <laughs> Whenever they felt like it, they would throw my name up there and a little note to me. And like, they are just the sweetest. It's like the best love story ever. <laughs> well, I have a couple, excuse me. I have a couple of thoughts about this. Number one is, you know, first of all, when you have a name like tires, 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 and then you learn that they're doing oil changes. I mean, what's, what's up with that? 
You'd think that they'd be so focused on tires that, you know, if their name is tires, 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 why are they doing these other things? But second of all, good on them for doing really great uh, brand management by not being jerks, not being idiots, and actually just embracing it and, and saying, look at all the awesome publicity we're getting. And isn't this just cool because life's weird and, and now we've got something that's happened to us that's cool. You know, that's just awesome. <laughs> Yeah, they did. And yeah, they do all, they do everything at Tires, Tires, Tires. A lot more than Tires. <laughs> so um, that's why it was so easy to keep taking cars in for service. Um, yeah, no, they were really great. And they're a very Christian-based company. And because I write steamy romance, I think there was some fear that maybe this isn't a good, um, good publicity. But um, I think once they met me and got to know me and see that I'm not some, you know, strange or peculiar like <laughs> smut writer that you know has a i don't know i don't know what they were expecting once like, you told I mean, them it's oh. literature you were fine <laughs> yes totally i mean they were fine like they just they embraced it and like gary teases me about my my steamy books all the time and i i always just tell him you're not my demographic gary you're like <laughs> so <laughs> just pass your this book to your wife so and i'm like i had a book signing at tires 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 and one of their drivers, an older guy, lined up at the signing to get a signed book for his wife. And I was like, this is just like the sweetest moment of just, um, I don't know, a business and employees embracing something that's totally outside their comfort zone and not a natural pairing, but it just goes to show people can connect on so many different levels. And I don't know, it's really, it's, it's just one of those experiences I'll never forget in my career. Well, my mom is, you know, going to be mortified that I mentioned her on this podcast, but you know, she's one of the many ladies that you, that you might not suspect has romance novels, but yeah. as a kid growing up, you, you find those paperbacks that has some sort of like head poking through a cover and then you open it up and there's a larger scene in there. And of course the cover is such a compelling reason to have a romance novel, I would assume. So how does somebody starting off not only write a romance novel, but get the right artwork to go with it to, to fit the genre? Boy, you know, I mean, I, yeah, my mom had a bunch of those old, I call them bodice busters. Uh, you know, the, the period like Fabio romance oh, yeah. novels where he's standing behind the woman and her dress is opening just at the top. And it's very passionate, <laughs> you know. Well, um, don't even get me started about the time my mom transitioned to audiobooks and we were going uh, to Watertown uh, to get a pair of slacks from Herbergers and mom's popping in the audiobooks and I'm just sitting over there blushing, you know, while oh my, my mom's listening. Oh my gosh. That's a, <laughs> that's a terrible thing for a teenage boy to go through. Oh, Riding forty five minutes with your mom, who's now found audio books. <laughs> right, I'm sure you're scarred for life. Clearly, you're still thinking about. <laughs> well, and they use the, they use those you know terms like loins, you know, uh, and it's mm -hmm. like, wow, what a what a sexy term. <laughs> I know, I know, it's horrible. Bring me there's your loins. Lots of, <laughs> there's lots of cliches in the romance world. It's 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 a tough business. I'll tell you. <laughs> Oh, I don't even remember the original. Oh, well, we were talking about laughing. artwork and how did you get how did you get the right oh, yeah. artwork as a as a new author into the genre? I mean, my artwork has definitely progressed um, as I've gotten more experience and more 
visibility in the industry. I mean, really just looking at the romance top 100, uh, at the very least, you'll see kind of where the trends are. And um, abs, on men's abs are huge, especially like my sports romance books. Um, that was what, what really, that was the series that really took off for me. And sports romance lends itself well to a hot guy with abs on the cover, you know. And so we shot um, a guy locally. Actually, we shot him in the Fox studio after hours <laughs> one day. And kind of use that, you know, controlled setting for, um, for a studio shoot of this guy who's a model and works out and has a great, like, he's got some bodybuilding experience. And so, you know, we shot for a couple hours and I used that shoot to cover that whole, my whole Harris Brothers series. And so for me, once I started embracing how much romance readers love abs on covers, that's when I really started to sell. So, so abs I mean, are a thing. Of, I've been going about my life exactly wrong because I'm yeah. in the beer business and uh, we, oh, yeah. we destroy abs. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. I've been, I've been telling my husband I'm saving him for the cover of one of my dad the bods. The dad bods, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they keep saying um, that's going to be like a trend, but you're saying you're not really seeing it in the, in the sales. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not currently, no, I'm afraid not. Um, cause again, it's the fantasy, it's the escape. It's just, you know, having a little tease. I usually cut Anything the heads off. Anything different than my husband. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I usually crop it though. So you can't see their face because I do like for the reader to kind of fill in the face in their imagination, yeah. you know, cause everybody's got different tastes on what they find attractive. So it's kind of more of a mystery that way to not show the whole face on the cover. Um, but yeah, I mean, abs are a big part of my brand now, clearly, because basically after my first series where I did couples, you know, embracing, um, uh, I went to abs and I've never looked back. <laughs> and I think at one point you were you were spreading dirt or mud on some abs. Yep. Um, that was that first shoot we did at the Fox studio there. And um, yeah, when I decided to write this fourth romance series, I was like, man, I just abs are such a big thing but how can I make mine different and I was like what if he has like mud on his abs and honestly I don't think any soccer player would ever get that muddy in <laughs> a game so it's again the, the fantasy of it and you know the suspension of reality that we we take um with that but yeah I I helped rub that mud on the the model uh, for that shoot and that was that was a very interesting experience because my husband he's He's a beautiful man, but he does not have abs like that. So um, it was it was funny. It was a fun experience. And my readers die for that story because, you know, they're all very intrigued by the behind the scenes stuff, too. So what's yeah, fun. Wh how's your husband been during this whole process um, about what you're doing with romance? Does he engage in the does he talk through plots with you? Does he just kind of say good job and I don't want to hear about it? Or is he pretty involved in the process? Um, he'll talk through stuff occasionally, you know, writing is a very emotional experience and I have high highs and low lows and he kind of has to ride that wave with me, unfortunately. And self doubt and self hatred are a very prevalent part of my process. I've learned um, where I just think this book is terrible. It's going to perform terribly. Why am I doing this? I just, I hate this job. I hate my career. Like, you know, and I love it. Like, clearly I love it. Um, 
it's just a part of my process to get down on myself because I think it's a part of what pushes me to try harder with every book. So unfortunately, he really has to um, bear that <laughs> insanity that comes along with every single book and every single release. And uh, he's great, though. I mean, he now I think he realizes it's part of my process. And he doesn't patronize me and like pat me on the head. But I, you can tell he's like, I can't wait for tomorrow. She'll be a different person tomorrow. You know? <laughs> um, like he doesn't get too worked up by my emotions. So the career at 36, there are, I would imagine, a lot of options in front of you. But some of the things that come to mind for me as an outsider is just saying, what about podcasting? And what about getting signed by some imprint? Or what about licensing these characters in case they could ever be optioned into a movie or something? Tell me about what else lies out there for you. Well, one of my books is optioned for film, actually. My tire shop book, Wait With Me, the one based on the romance novelist who sneaks into a tire shop to write and gets plucked by a hot mechanic. <laughs> um, wait, yeah, Wait With Me has been optioned for film by Passion Flicks, which is a semi-new production company that came out like maybe three years ago now. And they have been turning romance novels into movies uh, for a few years now. And they, it, they're kind of like a Netflix where it's a subscription-based. Um, you can access it through Amazon, um, you know, sign up, you know, you can act like op, um, opt in and Certain channels, pay your yeah. subscription. Yep. yep. Um, so you can get it on your television. It used, it was when they first started out, you could only watch it on your computer. Uh, so now they're through Amazon, which is great. They are doing a great job. Honestly, it's sort of what romance readers want. And, you know, it's senior movies that um, are a little bit more daring and it's it's what we love to read, and now someone's making movies like uh, like the books we love to read. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I'm very excited. It's very early in the process, and with coronavirus exploding, their production schedule's been kind of messed up. But so far, um, they're just working on writing the screenplay. So they have to convert the book into a screenplay, and then they told me to start dream casting. Um, but obviously they are lower budget. They're not Hollywood budget, you know, so we're not going to get like a Hemsworth brother or anything like that. But it's, it's super fun to just like, you know, find these actors and models out there who have dabbled in acting to see what they could do or like how they'd look in my movies. I, I can't wait. I cannot. It's still a little bit unbelievable that like they're actually going to make it into this movie. So, um, but that's fun. And I'd love to see more options, honestly. I've I've been talking to an agent because film is the film industry is very hard to tap into. Like the publishing, you, you used to have to have an agent who sold you to a traditional publisher and then you got a deal and then you wrote the books and they published them for you. Um, with indie publishing now, like self publishing is so easy and you know, it's it's a business and you have to treat it like a business and research and know your craft, but I've had a great experience. Um, you know, I, the fact that I could do this on my own is is very telling that it's a successful way to publish books. Uh, it's it's kind of the new norm now, honestly. Traditional deals aren't as popular as they once were. And, like, romance is a beast in the book industry. Um, like, the top, one of the top earning 
uh, genres is romance. And so there's a lot of amazing, incredible women out there making six figure, seven figure incomes, self-publishing. And um, it's, it's cool to be a part of that um, very entrepreneurial sort of industry. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the getting options for film and stuff, that is kind of more um, agent focused. And I'd love to yeah. see my Harris brothers picked up somewhere. Is there, um, so is there I, anything yeah. in the podcasting world that's approached you or that interests you? I mean, I just think about how people automatically get it downloaded to their phone and it's just automatically delivered to them and how that could potentially be an advantage for what you're doing. Um, so when you say that, do you mean like a business podcast or like where we talk about the romance world or like reading books or how, which, I mean, what way are you? I guess what I'm thinking about is we had a guest on the show, Sarah Warner, who has the girl in space podcast and it's a fiction mm-hmm. podcast with voice actors and it takes decent amount of production to do. I mean, it took her quite a bit mm-hmm. of time and she has you know, these actors from around the country to put it together, but she's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then that got optioned into a, into a movie also, or some TV. And, you know, it's just, I think she created this incredible fandom from it, you know, and they send her out to these conventions and, and want to hear how she created girl in space. So you're already creating the story and the narrative, but somehow the production of how it's delivered just maybe changes. Um, Sure. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Honestly, I think there's lots of things that, that some authors do as well that maybe have a little more staff to help manage it. Yeah, because right. for me, I understand. You just got like, Got to get your work yeah. done. Yeah. Exactly. And and nobody can write the books for me. So my time is always best spent writing. Yeah. So to think about managing a podcast world feels like uh, a little overwhelming to me, but I know there's authors out there doing it. And, you know, some of them have you know, um, bonus scene audiobooks on their website, you know, and things like that. But I mean, the sky's the limit, really. For me, I'm, I can only do what I can do. And that's right now, that's just writing the books. And I mean, I do have foreign deals. So I have foreign translations happening all the time. I think I have deals with seven countries right now. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, that's another part to grow my business that doesn't take a lot of time from me. Well, you know, even- normally it's just, even though I might yeah, have suggested some of those other things, I think your approach is probably the is is the position a lot of people should take, which is to say, I have something that's working, I'm good at it, and if I waste my time or not waste my time, but split up <clears throat> split up my time into these other projects, my main product doesn't get delivered. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think you know that's a good position to be in is to know what you're good at. But I also wonder yeah. that if you're if you had this plan at KTTW to say, when I get enough money, I'm out of here <clears throat> because I want to mm-hmm. do my own thing. And now you're mm-hmm. only 36. The question is, what do you see yourself doing in your 40s and your 50s? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And there is, and maybe it's the same thing with with the book world. Maybe once I make X amount of dollars as an author, I need to start looking at other ways of monetizing my brand, um, so to speak. But honestly, I still think I'll be writing in my 40s and 50s. I think I'll never run out of ideas um, and worlds and hopefully readers, you know. I mean, romance readers are ravenous. Like, Kindle Unlimited program is so great for them because it's, what is it, 10 bucks a month for unlimited reading. And they 
they burn through books. Ton, like some read three to four books a week uh, yeah. easily. So it, well, Bill Gates, he's a big reader. <laughs> right, <laughs> he reads three to four books a week. Maybe one of them's yours. Yeah, I'm sure Bill Gates is right up, right down my alley of uh, <laughs> my market. Um, no, it's just I like I can't write fast enough for my readers. Yeah. So I honestly think as long as I keep writing and keep promoting and running sales and staying relevant, I could see myself doing this for a while. But the other nice thing is this at some point does become passive income because just because I write a new book doesn't mean those old books go away. So oh, right. um, I'm very lucky that this will be money I will make in retirement. You know, uh, clearly I make more on a new release and it just kind of always tapers from there. But that's why it's that's why this is such a business and not just an artsy creative job that you just kind of go in with like dreamful ideas. You know, I have to run this as a business and be smart and notice when my royalties are going down, that means I should run a sale or something to kind of reinvigorate the Amazon algorithm gods so that, you know, I'm yeah. I'm back at the top of people's mind again. So it's it's definitely a business. How how does it work with your print runs? Are you saying we're going to print a thousand at a time, or is it on demand? Or how does that work? I'm sure it's not on demand at your at your level, but um, uh, it actually it, it it actually is on demand. Oh, it is. Um, I self so self publishing. Um, you know, obviously, I self publish through Kindle Direct Publishing, the ebook, and then you can add the paperback option to that. And so, yeah, I print on demand. My books are maybe. Um, $5 a piece to get to me um, if I just order, let's say, 100 books because I do sell off my website. So if I have to mail books out that people want signed, I'll order a box of 100 books to me. And there may be $5 a piece. Um, yeah. Obviously, then I put the retailer price on Amazon so people can just buy it directly off of Amazon as well. So if I wanted to buy a paper book from Amazon or paperback <laughs> from Amazon, yep. um and I hit buy now, does that mean that the machine's printing it at that moment? Or does it mean that they keep just enough on stock based on their algorithms um, of how much to keep in stock? I think it depends on the book. Like, so here's what I'll notice right now, my new release in April, like I just had to order 50 more books to mail out to people. And I had to order 50 of my latest release. And then I was low on one of my older titles. Um, those 50 books showed up a lot quicker. I'm still waiting mm. on that older title. So my guess is Amazon probably prints extras of a book that's performing a certain way on Amazon yeah. where they feel like we can, we can get rid of this inventory eventually because she's selling X amount per day. Um, but this older title, which I'm probably barely selling anything of per day, they probably had to print it. So yeah. that's why it takes longer. But um, most of the Amazon books are prime. So I do not know how that works. Uh, if they just like get it out to like, cause so as an author, I'm ordering from a different area than a reader would who's buying the retail copy on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they're doing a mass print for the author, they probably think they can take longer. Whereas if they're telling this reader, you can get this book on prime, they're going to get that book printed quicker for them than they would for me. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So tell me, Kind of the last thing I, I want to talk about is why do you live where you live and is that an advantage in what you're doing? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just a Midwest girl at heart. I grew up in Northwest Iowa, you know, Sioux Falls was where we went to go shopping, uh, for back to school clothes and things like that. And, um, family's important to me. My parents are only two hours away and they live on a lake. And this year, this summer we rented the house next door to them because of coronavirus and just trying to social distance to still see them. And I feel very lucky because, you know, I know there's so many people out there that can't see their parents because their parents are playing right away. And they, that's not safe at this time to fly or something like that. So, um, yeah, both of my sisters live here in Sioux Falls too. Uh, my husband's got two siblings that live here in Sioux Falls. It's just, Sioux Falls just kind of became the place that a lot of us decided to, to live. It's kind of that perfect big small town, you know, um, where it's a big town with lots of amenities, but it doesn't feel like a huge city. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. And South Dakota has, um, no income tax, no state income tax too, which for authors, I guess that's a very appealing thing because, I didn't even think about that, honestly, you know, because I wasn't writing books back then. But when you're um, self-employed, uh, you know, going to a state with no, am I saying that right? No state income tax. Yeah, right. No no income <laughs> yeah. tax. Yep. Um, is, is a big saving. So I, I guess I have that perk as well. <laughs> so there's no reason to move somewhere else because you can do what you're doing from anywhere and you just happen to love where you live. Is that another way of saying that? I do. That? Yeah. I do. And, and, you know, I travel for book signings and stuff. I've been to, I went to Rome for a signing last year and I've been to London a couple of times. Um, you know, so like I, if I need inspiration, I can travel to it, you know, and that's kind of fun, but really I, I don't need to, I'm not that immersed of a writer. Uh, I think sometimes for some writers, they get so bogged down with thinking they need to research and, figure this out but ultimately we're just telling a story so if you're a good storyteller like I told you before I maybe get criticized that some of my books sound too American when they're supposed to be British um but if you're a great storyteller people forgive that you know or they don't notice it and or by the end they don't care anymore because it was a great story so I don't I don't let myself get too bogged down in making sure every detail is super on point and authentic and everything. Cause I'm just trying to tell a love story in the end. And so I don't know, it's, it's, it's a wild ride, but it's, it's fun. Well, I think it's really awesome that you've found out what you're good at and you figured out a way to make a living in South Dakota. That's always something I'm interested in hearing about, but how can people learn more about you, Amy Dawes and your work? Yeah. Um, my website is just amydogsauthor.com and that has all my social media um, links. So that's probably the easiest way and links for my books, which are all available on Amazon. You know, you can see all my titles under my author profile on Amazon. So if you just search Amy Dawes and click on my name, you can see everything there. And all my books are in Kindle Unlimited too, because like I said, those romance readers love Kindle Unlimited. So that's a great option for, for people that are reading on a budget. And do you um, have yeah. books on Audible then right now too? Yep. All my books are on audio. I love audio. And some of them are duet style narrated, which is really cool. I, I always say it's like a movie in your ears because the narrators actually talk to each other in the scene. So they're not reading each other's dialogue. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's really fun. Uh, yeah. My Harris Brothers is all duet style narrating. And I've noticed people that ha struggle with audio 
usually haven't tried duet style narrating. And once they do, they're like, ah, this is what I've been missing, you know? So that's kind of fun. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for telling your story and I can't wait to see uh, what else comes your way and just really, really cool that, that you found a way and are shipping. You know, there's so many people that find excuses to not get something done. And I'm I'm excited to see anybody who has output and says, you know what, I can do couple books a year, maybe more. That's, that's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a fun ride. And thanks for having me today. This was nice. Well, and we'll be back next week with another episode. I shouldn't say next week during quarantine times here. Who knows? But we'll be back soon with another episode of The Lanyard. 